ESPN Daily is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Buster, can you share your favorite memory of your colleague, Sarah Langs? So during the 2016 World Series, you got the Cubs playing the Cleveland Indians. And Sarah at that time was probably working about 22 hours a day. Buster only has worked with a lot of people in his 20 years covering baseball for ESPN. But few have made an impression on him like that of researcher and analyst Sarah Langs. She was loving it, making herself available for the earliest morning sports centers for the latest sports centers, baseball tonight in between, and of course being at the ballpark while the games are being played. And so in the midst of that, she was catching catnaps in the seats right next to the first base dugout. <laughs> she has absolute joy, absolute love of baseball. Like she was all in on that whole series. She was not going to miss a moment to research baseball or to be in the ballpark, or to just be in the moment. She just enjoyed every bit of that World Series in a way I don't think anybody else has. It's hard to miss Sarah Lang's love for the game of baseball. I can't believe I'm someone who gets to go on a podcast and talk to you about baseball or sit at my computer and give thoughts to everybody on Sunday Night Baseball. And at 30 years old, she's never needed the game as much as she does now. That's because Sarah Langs is in the fight of her life. I wanted to show them that someone with ALS can still work the postseason and do all of these things. And her battle mirrors that of the great Lou Gehrig, who left baseball in 1939 after being diagnosed with ALS. Today... Today. I consider, I consider myself, myself the luckiest, the luckiest man, man on the face, on the of, the face earth. of the earth. So I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thank you. So today, as baseball celebrates Lou Gehrig Day, Buster Olney brings us the story of one of sports media's brightest young voices. How life threw her a devastating curveball, and how she remains undeterred from living her life in baseball to the fullest. I'm Israel Gutierrez. It's Friday, June 2nd. This is ESPN Daily. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, Buster, you've known Sarah Langs for eight years. 
and you've now elected to share her story as part of a feature you've done for ESPN's Outside the Lines. And nothing is more central to Sarah's life than, as you mentioned, baseball. How did that come to be for her? Really, it started out within her family because her uh, mother was a huge baseball fan, hmm. a fan of the San Francisco Giants. Her dad, Charlie, is a big sports fan. And I asked each of them uh, to describe as Sarah was growing up in Manhattan, you know, an evening in their household. And they talked about how the television and baseball would always be on in the background. I think we tried for a while to kind of like not eat near the TV. Um, but then it definitely evolved to eating in front of the television set and watching baseball. From late March to early November, a baseball game was always on in our house. As Sarah grew up in that, she gravitated toward the sport. She loved the sport. She was a fan of the Mets. She'd be going to, uh, to Shea Stadium, to City Field. She made some trips to Yankee Stadium. She just absolutely, from a very young age, uh, fell in love with the sport. How would you describe uh, the first moment when you began to fall in love with baseball? Oh my gosh, I mean, I don't know if I can pick one moment. I remember vaguely my first Mets game, but I really think that it wasn't one moment. It was just the constancy of baseball being around our house, which is also what I love so much about it. I mean, we would be sitting there watching the Mets game, probably my uh, dad and I sitting eating dinner on the floor, my mom sitting on the couch, and all of us just sitting there watching the game. So they're this baseball family, right? And they became the kind of baseball family that would pilgrimage to spring training every year. But this was more than just a trip, right? They'd make their voices heard. And their voice was heard by the then manager of the San Francisco Giants, Bruce Bochy, who has very specific memories of Sarah and her mom, and he related those to us. Gosh, this is uh, in spring training. You know, it was about the middle of the game, and uh, I think the score was somewhat lopsided. I hear this big, booming voice yelling for uh, the players, for our players. And it was Sarah as a teenager screaming for the Giants players, imploring them to play better. I turned around and there she was right behind me with her mom and uh, we started a uh, conversation. He turns around and just kind of starts chatting. Hey, where, where are you from? That You know, that type of stuff. I think he said, you know, the boys appreciate it. Thanks for cheering all that. After that, she became part of the sounds of spring training. Every spring, uh, you know, you hear the crack of the bat, the vendor, the fans, and then we'd hear Sarah's voice. So how did Sarah turn that love of the game into a career as far as you know it? She tells a story about how she had a middle school teacher who really planted the seed 
I always, always credit uh, the sixth grade English teacher, Josh Backrack, with being the one who said to me, you love writing, you love sports, that was very clear. You could put that together. It never occurred to me that those are people doing that and I could be a person like that. So I think that's when I started telling people I wanted to be a sports writer. So she goes to the University of Chicago. She works at the newspaper there. Uh, and as she comes out, her dream job is potentially someday to work at ESPN. And that comes to pass. I left Chicago, flew to Bristol, Connecticut, rented a car for the first time, and went and interviewed for that job. I was very proud and excited. And that's where you crossed paths with her at ESPN. What did you observe about how quickly she made a mark at the network? Immediately, she's not someone you're going to miss because of her absolute enthusiasm. What I would do as a, as a baseball nerd, you know, I might have a theory, I might have an idea. For example, I remember once an extended conversation with her about, boy, I think that more missed calls go against left-handed hitters than right-handed hitters mm -hmm. because of the, the angle of the catcher's glove. And so I threw that at her knowing that one way or the other, she was going to come back at me with either numbers that were going to back it up or numbers that were going to completely refute it. Hmm. And she came back with a set of statistics that, in fact, the top 30 hitters in baseball, in terms of missed calls, were all left-handed hitters. Wow. It totally affirmed this theory. <laughs> and we would go back and forth all the time with that. And then what I would find through the years is that I was about one of 50 people that she was doing this with. You know, we'd be, I'd be sending my emails at 4.30 in the morning. Sarah would be answering those. But then Tim Kirchin would be emailing her. Adnan Verk would be emailing her. Carl Ravitch would be emailing her. And it felt like she was working about 22 out of every 24 hours. Mm. To this day, if I send her a text message, I will get a response no more than five minutes. But also the fact that she had such joy in it and made it fun, right? You and mm -hmm. I have had conversations with researchers when you hear sort of the slog in their voice, like, oh, where am I going to find that piece of information? <laughs> I don't know where to go. And Sarah's like, on it, ready to go. <laughs> and at the end of it, and this was from the first time it met her to today, after every piece of information she sends you, and I'll send a thank you for that, Sarah, she sends me back a thank you note every time. Wow. And again, as I found in my conversations with other people, she would do the same thing with everybody else. Yeah, she sounds like someone who's constantly going above and beyond with everything she does. But how did that passion and intelligence for baseball eventually take her beyond ESPN? Well, eventually you knew she'd be getting job offers. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, you know, true confession to you, I was calling teams, I'm like, you need to think about looking at and hiring this person. Because really? she is a superstar And I know some teams reached out to her, but she loves the work in the media. Uh, she gets an offer from MLB.com. She goes over there to be a writer and a producer. And they recognize uh, the fact that she has such a great presence through social media and on television, and they immediately put her on air. Sarah Langs from MLB.com. We get emails from you every day, Sarah, with the best from StatCast. So let's touch on three of the most pressing topics. And I want to start with Mike Trout. What's different this year, Sarah? 
So one of the things that's different this year is that his sweet spot rate is close to the highest that we've ever seen from him. So sweet spot rate is another metric that we can use that's about launch angle, but it's another way to look at it. So the launch angle sweet spot, according to StatCast, is from 8 to 32 degrees. So what that's going to tell you... Let's be honest, Buster. If you look through the history of baseball on television, there haven't been many women in that analyst role. How rare and refreshing was it to watch a woman her age burst onto the scene and thrive the way she did? Oh, it's incredibly rare. I mean, I I worked with Jessica Mendoza Mm -hmm. on Sunday Night Baseball. She was the first woman to sit in that seat as an analyst. So Sarah Langs is right at the forefront. And if you watch her tweets, anytime there's a notation about something first happens Uh, with a woman being hired by a baseball organization or in the media, Mm -hmm. she always responds, more please. (laughs) (laughs) And, and she, she, she is an absolute pioneer in what she's doing and, uh, and the roles that she's been filling in the sport. And she has done more. She was part of baseball's first ever all-female broadcast crew uh, two years ago, wasn't she? Yeah, and Izzy, this is classic Sarah. So she came on my podcast that morning, hmm. and there had not been an announcement about this. And then later in the day, it's trumpeted out that she and Melanie Newman and others are going to do this broadcast. And next time I talked to her, I'm like, Sarah, what? Weren't you going to give me any kind of heads up? Weren't you going to you know, pat yourself on the back a little bit and say, hey, I'm part of this? But she just laughs. She uh, instinctively does not like having attention on her. And yet she is absolutely the forefront. Uh, she understands that it's not only about the numbers and the information, because we can all do that. But the question is how you can explain the relevance to your audience. Right. That to me is as important as the information itself. And she finds a way to do that with a sense of positivity that doesn't come across as criticism, right? A hundred percent. If you follow uh, her timeline on social media, all of her stats are are something that sort of bends in a positive light. Now, I'm old and I'm cynical. And so a lot of my numbers, I might reach out to her and say, hey, I, I, I see the Oakland Athletics are a disaster. Can you send me some statistics that put that into context? And you'll never see those on her timeline. She's great for me in terms of digging those out, but she doesn't like the idea of like dumping on a player or dumping on a team. And and maybe she's not as comfortable about that as I am. There are so many negative things and I see no point in focusing on them in the world. I mean, yes, when we're analyzing a team for Sunday Baseball, yes, we have to focus on why the pitching isn't good for Team X or why the defense is bad for Team Y. But when I'm able, I'm always going to look for the positive side of it. I mean, you know, it's like they'll always stay on the bright side of life. It's clear Sarah has a relentlessly positive attitude, but is also an analytical thinker. So what happened when she started to feel like maybe something wasn't right with her health? She was experiencing symptoms uh, that lingered, and she didn't understand what those were. This is someone who had become a runner. She had been a swimmer before that. She had very active, 
But by 2018, 2019, she began to experience symptoms in her legs and she felt like she needed to find out what those were about. After the break, Sarah stares down the biggest challenge in her life. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin, and the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. So, Buster, when did you start to notice that maybe there was something just not right with Sarah Lang's health? During the 2019 season, I bumped into her in the hallways at Yankee Stadium and she was limping. And I asked her about that and uh, she wondered if it was some sort of a running injury that was lingering. I was still running very consistently, so I just figured I had sprained my ankle or done something, but nothing hurt. Later at an All-Star game, I saw her and she had a walking boot on. And then subsequently, she's so regimented and works so hard. And there would be times when we would ask her to be on a podcast at a certain time. And she'd say, look, can I back it up by 30 minutes? I had an appointment. Hmm. And during that time... I would find out later that she was seeing doctors for the symptoms that she was experiencing in her legs. So I started with an orthopedist. She very quickly referred me to a neurologist. When you're sent to a neurologist, it's typically not going to be good news. So I knew at that point something was wrong. What did doctors find when they examined her? The first doctors who she spoke with weren't sure. At one point, there was a conversation about a B12 deficiency, and they talked about that. And her mother, who is a physician herself, began to suspect that Sarah had ALS, but she didn't want to say that out loud. She wasn't the treating doctor. I felt like there was something wrong. And honestly, I think I was afraid to say something to her. I urged her to, you know, try and see 
other doctors. She set up an appointment with Dr. Neil Schneider, who works at Columbia. He did a small um, physical exam as well, and then he told us. And Dr. Schneider told Sarah that she has ALS. Obviously, it was very upsetting. We both cried and there were tears, but I can't express how much of a relief it was to have an answer. And I mean, we basically knew, given all of the tests I've been through, we sort of knew what he was going to say. Buster, can you explain what ALS is and how common it is or maybe isn't for someone of Sarah's age? ALS is a progressively degenerative disease that affects muscles. It rarely happens in women. It rarely happens in someone as young as Sarah. To understand more about it, we talked to uh, Sarah's doctor, Dr. Neil Schneider of Columbia. So ALS is a degenerative disease, a neurological disease that selectively affects the neurons that control movement, that control muscle movement. In some cases, the muscles become weak and they become wasted. And um, in other cases, like Sarah's, the signal that comes from the brain down to the motor neurons in the spinal cord are more affected. And the issue there is, is more motor control and the planning and execution of, of movements. So it becomes increasingly difficult to walk and to use your hands, to speak, and to do the things that we all do normally and naturally uh, every day. The muscles that control talking, chewing, swallowing, and ultimately breathing are affected. So for that reason, ALS is really a deadly disease. So for those who don't know, ALS is not only deadly, but there's also no cure. And considering that, what struck me when I heard Sarah discuss receiving the diagnosis, Buster, I wasn't expecting to hear the word relief in her response. How did you make sense of her reaction? She was relieved because she had gotten a sense that the doctors that she had met with before Dr. Schneider didn't want to deliver bad news to her. There was definitely, in retrospect, a hesitancy by those doctors to diagnose me with something that I now know, even at that time, was pretty obvious because I'm a young woman. I'm not, I mean, even Lou Gehrig was not the typical ALS case. He was pretty young, but I'm not a 50-year-old man who is what most people think of with ALS or even a 50-year-old woman. They had someone who was this vibrant young woman who was in her late 20s, and they seemed, in Sarah's eyes, to be looking for reasons other than ALS. And so she felt that, you know, Dr. Schneider was direct enough, uh, brave enough to look her in the eye and tell her this is what she had, which is why afterward... Uh, you know, Sarah sent a thank you note to Dr. Schneider. Hmm. You know, thank you for my family. Thank you for me. Because now at least we understand what we're dealing with after, you know, many months of trying to find answers unsuccessfully. Another thank you. Wow. Having an actual answer meant there was a one medication that I could take 
at the time, and there were other things we could do to address what was going on. And at least I had an answer as opposed to no idea. In speaking with her and her boyfriend, Matt, uh, it was pretty clear that they both got into the mode of, you know what, what happens next? Mm -hmm. And what do we need to do next? The reaction is kind of, okay, this is happening. Now what? What do we do? How do we make sure I'm still doing what I want to do? How do we make sure he's still able to do what he wants to do and that we're able to live our lives? I remember sending her an email the night after she called to tell me about this and saying, look, uh, whenever you want it, you will have at your disposal the power of the whole sport. Everybody will get behind you mm. because Sarah initially was concerned when she got this news that she was going to be fired. Wow. That Major League Baseball Network was going to let her go because she wasn't going to be able to work necessarily. I was most concerned that someone might hear about this and say, oh, we can't put her on TV. We can't have her doing X, Y, Z. So I guess the important thing to me was being able to continue to show that I could still work and I could still do what I was doing. And I said, Sarah, no one's going to fire you. (laughs) (laughs) They will fully support you. And so what she decided after getting the diagnosis, uh, and initially was, you know what? I just want to do the work that I love. Uh, I just want to do baseball research. And that's what she focused on. What else am I going to do? I mean, I understand there may be a day where that's not the case, but I think the difference between myself and people who are year to retire at age 29 because of a terminal diagnosis is that my work is my passion. It's who I am and it's what I do and hopefully not in a um, mentally unstable way that it's who I am, but I just mean baseball is who I am and getting to work on it is what I do. So uh, I want to continue being me. And what was that like, her coming back? How did you experience her after the diagnosis? Nothing changed. (laughs) It was the same old Sarah, total enthusiasm, focus on her work, answering your text messages, your emails right away, the big smile, the thank you notes after you talked. And look, I'm sure that everybody that she told this uh, tragic news had their own emotions, but you understood in your conversations with Sarah that look, you got to follow her lead. Right. You know, it's not her job to tend to you and what you're feeling. She wants to research baseball, and that's what she did for months and months and months. Right. And she told you when she was ready to tell you about the diagnosis. But then last fall, she made an important decision about how she would move forward, both with this fight and with her career. What happened? What happened was is that as Sarah was appearing on podcasts and shows, uh, her speech was being affected by ALS, and more and more people are asking questions. Is she okay? What's going on with Sarah? Uh, And I think Sarah was tired of holding this information in. Hmm. Not everybody knew. I think I was tired of 
I felt like I was hiding something and it wasn't even purposeful. Um, but it was also incredibly emotional each time I shared this with someone. Sarah realized that she had to put out some kind of statement to explain what people were hearing uh, and she made the decision to go forward. At a certain point, it was easier to kind of point to the sign and say, there you go, now you know, as opposed to going through an emotional conversation with every person I crossed paths with. I did it right before the postseason, so be very clear, I'm still me. And I believe I wrote that in there. And I said, here's to a great postseason. Posted, and I put my phone upside down, put it away, and then I went to go take a shower and like not look at my phone. And at one point, Matt handed me my phone just to see, and I just completely lost it, crying. She got an outpouring of response after posting on Twitter. She <laughs> was shocked by it. And then we were both on our phones looking and just the things people were saying, we were both just standing there bawling and, oh my gosh, just the most overwhelming moments of my life. I mean... She got video messages from Mookie Betts. She got video messages from Buster Posey. Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners reached out. Truly can't believe the outpouring, and I still can. And she's someone who I mentioned before, she doesn't like to be the center of attention. And here she was absolutely the center of attention. Every day she was feeling a, a reflection of how she's lived her life and how she's treated other people and people were coming back to support her. And she's taken the opportunity to use the platform that she has to impart messages and to raise awareness about ALS, a disease that, you know, to this point has no cure. People who get this disease are expected to live about two to five years. And Sarah wants to help change with that. And she's getting a lot of uh, folks who are, you know, supporting that awareness through her name. And she found a very simple, fun way to spread that very serious message, didn't she? Yes, she decided that she wanted to do a fist bump challenge. Fist bumps are sort of what I've realized over the last year are pretty universal and easy in a good way to say hello when maybe you're always seated. So I knew for a while that I wanted to do something to raise money and awareness. So she tweeted this out and basically suggested that she wanted to tag people uh, to raise awareness. And she tweeted out the names of five people uh, and she challenged them to tag five other people. And eventually, uh, through our, our colleague, Dan Orlovsky. The challenge is fist bump for ALS, okay? So find a way to donate 
to ALS awareness. It, it reached Charles Barkley. Hmm. I want to give a shout out to Dan Arlovsky. Oh, we're giving a shout out. Yes, yeah. because uh, he challenged me to do the ALS fist pump on ESPN today. And I just want to tell him thank you because he, uh, the young lady I know got ALS and a bunch of guys are doing it. So Dan, thank you for bringing awareness. So here's your fist pump. Sarah, you know, got a text message one night from one of her colleagues saying, Charles Barkley just did a fist bump challenge. How cool is that? <laughs> so those ripples from, you know, Sarah's heart uh, and from her efforts have extended a long way. And Buster, what kind of impact has Sarah had on, on your life and on the baseball community as a whole? Ooh. <laughs> hmm. Sarah, um, for me... Take your time. So my daughter, Sydney... So my daughter, Sydney's 23 years old. And as she was going through the college process, I brought her to ESPN because I wanted her to meet Sarah. Because Sarah, to me, was an example of enthusiasm and love and devotion to work and just the sort of person that you aspire to be. And I know that she's touched other people in our industry in the same way. You know, as her news uh, spread throughout the game, you know, I'd get text messages from Alex Cora, the manager of the Red Sox, from Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, but also from Bruce Bochy. Other players have come up to me and asked me. So when she joined ESPN, there's this little pocket of people that she would work with every single day. And it feels like now her grace, her goodwill has spread throughout the sport in a, in a way that you know, it hit me. Hmm. It's always there. I mean, everything I talked about with why I was drawn to baseball, the constancy, 162 games, plus the postseason, you have spring training. I mean, baseball is there from you from mid-February until early November these days. Baseball is there the same way when I was an only child and I was either with my parents or my friends or watching baseball. Now baseball is the thing that doesn't change. So even if the way that I approach my day or do something else changes, looking up Aaron Judge's last multi-homer game or the fact that you know, they're going to be games starting at 7 p.m. Eastern on a weekday. That doesn't change, and that's what's so comforting about it. Yeah, Buster, that sounds like she's going to continue to inspire people for as long as she can, and then well beyond that. Thank you so much for telling this story. Thanks, Izzy. You can find information on Sarah's Fist Bumps for ALS campaign via the link in our episode description. I'm Israel Gutierrez. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, 
Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andres Soto, Andy Tennant, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Deontay Epps, Frank Saracino, Nate Ayub, and Jackson Agello. Jeremy Schapp will be sliding into our host chair next week. He'll talk to you then. <laughs>